Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me are Kendra Maurer and Morgana. Tonight, we're welcoming Matthew Wiley. He's a poet, a writer, and an experiencer. He's been listening to our podcast for quite a while, and he wrote to me, and he has some interesting things to talk about. So welcome, Matthew. Uh, Hi, thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you. Absolutely. So what would you like to start with first you want to go chronologically yeah i i thought i'd just kind of start from my childhood and and then you know go up to the present day excellent just feel free to ask any questions you know along the way (laughs) okay so uh first i'll just start off with like i get it i was into the paranormal you know from when i was very young like uh I remember like one of the very first books I read was the child childcraft uh, mysteries in the unknown. And uh, also read like Daniel Cohen and Brad Steiger and people like that. So I was into it very early on. Um, but yeah, I had, I remember my mom telling me that she said that I sometimes had imaginary friends uh, like animals not necessarily people. So that was kind of interesting. Um, I also would hear voices sometimes in the middle of the night, like my parents calling to me, but they were asleep, you know? So like calling my name, what sounded like my parents, but that wasn't, the, you know, there's no one there. Uh, it's never good. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> never good. <laughs> right. Um, one interesting and kind of funny one was, um, uh, so middle of the night, I had to go, get up and go to the bathroom. And uh, my uh, room was pretty close to the, the hallway bathroom. And so I get up in the middle of the night to go. And, uh, you know, it's, it's there's, a, there's like a, a light in the hallway. It's where I could see into the bathroom. The bathroom door was open. And it looked like there was someone sitting on the toilet. And in my mind, I assumed it kind of looked like my dad and it kind of looked like they were holding a cigarette. My dad would smoke while he's sitting on the toilet sometimes. He was also in the habit of sometimes not always closing the door when he was in the bathroom. <laughs> um, so I thought it was him because it kind of looked like him. And I, in my mind, like I was probably like maybe eight or nine at the time, maybe a little younger. Um, Anyways, I thought it was him because I thought they he had they had a bathroom in their room, like a smaller one, and I I was just thinking in my mind, okay, maybe there was something wrong with their toilet, so he's going to use this one. And I'm I'm sitting, you know, just standing there, kind of waiting, and then eventually I say, "Dad, are you almost done? I need to go." And uh, I didn't hear any response, and I move forward, and 
there's no response. And then eventually I get the courage, courage to turn on the light and nobody's there. Uh, that was kind of creepy. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I find it kind of funny, though, because, you know, I read all these stories about shadow people and I saw one on the toilet, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody poops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like the book says. Right. Uh, another, uh, another really wild one was, um, okay. So when I was pretty young, I was probably around the same age. And, uh, so one night I think my parents were getting fed up with me coming out and bugging them. And so they locked me in my room and this, yeah. And this is, uh, also just happened that my, uh, light bulb in my room had blown out that night and okay so just to set that up um i have this dream and i had like goblins or something in my house and i can't remember that part of it so much but eventually i go in the dream i go down into my basement and there's this little you know cubby that goes under the house in our basement in our old house and uh chucky crawls out you know from child's play and uh so, uh, and he doesn't look like the one in the movie. He's much more like, uh, less animated, more like an actual doll, you know, very like just blank faced, but he's carrying a knife in his hand. And, uh, but here's the crazy part. So I wake up, but when I wake up, there's just all these fragments of his face, like floating all around me throughout the room. Like just shards, you know, almost like shards of glass images, like just floating all around me. Oh, wow. So I'm freaking out. I, I get up out of bed and these these are still floating around me as I get up. And I try to turn on the light, forgot the light was off. Yeah. Try to open the door, door's locked. <laughs> I'm oh just my God. Out. Eventually I like, I'm like screaming and knocking on the door and everything. Eventually my parents, you know, wake me up or get, get me out of the room. And, uh, you know, and they calm me down and everything. And eventually I calm down. I think later on, like in my kid's imagination, I was trying to imagine myself blowing up Chucky with a bazooka or something. To make <laughs> but, but the oh, crazy, no. but I can't, can't explain it. I wasn't sick at the time. I, you know, I, you know, I don't know what could have caused it. I, I remember a few years ago, I read a story of a lady who was in the hospital and she, she took some kind of drug or something and she had something similar where it was like all these little fragments of images floating all around her. But Hmm. that's, that's the only time that's ever happened to me, you know? And, you know, so I, I imagine it was some kind of hallucination or altered state or something, but it was kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a particularly interesting altered state to go from a nightmare to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's that's almost like that's not really a hypnagogic state, really. It doesn't quite sound like that, and it doesn't sound like a night terror either. Mm-hmm. It sounds no. more like your imagination just got left outside of your body a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really wild. There was a, another one that was, uh, I think, this one might have been more in my teens, but <clears throat> I had a really bad earache at the time. And uh, I remember I was like in a half half awake, half asleep state, and I was in a lot of pain because of the earache. And 
everything kind of went white and there were like, you know, they have the shadow people that are black, blacker than black, but there were white shadows in the Mm -hmm. white, like that were whiter than white or it's hard to describe, Mm -hmm. but, and they were Mm -hmm. screaming. Oh no. Oh, And I just felt this massive amount of dread and just anxiety while I'm in this state. And yeah. eventually I shook it off and got out of it, but I, I, it was probably related to my ear, ear infection, but I, I, that one kind of was disturbing. <laughs> I had really bad ear problems as a kid. So I lived with that kind of ear pain and I had very vivid, <clears throat> very disturbing dreams when I had an ear specifically from the ear pain. And I only know that it's, <clears throat> excuse me, in my case, in my uh, experience related because it was when my eardrum was perforating, that was the dream came with it, or that would be right. the end of the dream or right. the eardrum just blowing. Right. So, you know, speaking of dreams, I, I did have a couple other ones. Uh, one that was kind of stands out was, I think it was actually over the course of a night. <laughs> like I had several dreams that were all related, or at least two or three. And it was with these bats and there was um, started out, they were like these weird, like chunky, chunky bats, you know, and they were really <laughs> creepy looking. And they were like in my window. I, I lived at a two story house and I was up on the second story on a bunk bed. And I would sometimes look out my window in the middle of the night. And there was this bat just flying there. And uh, I remember them trying to get into the house and everything. And part of the dream, another part, which was really weird was, I went to a cathedral and these bats were congregated in the cathedral and like chanting like some weird chant. <laughs> and then like the end of the dream, like I was outside of my backyard and the bats were all like coming at me, but then all these rocks started falling this, from the sky and bringing them all down and hitting the bats and everything. And I was cheering. And so I guess <laughs> it had a happy ending. But that was, I had really weird dreams like that as a kid that just, didn't make any sense at all. Like, I don't even know where the ideas came from or, you know, um, I like the chunky bats. Oh, what's that? I like the chunky bats, the chunky bats. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also had a couple of UFO dreams. I didn't have any like alien abduction kind of stuff, but I did have like ones where there were UFOs in my backyard and coming towards me and I was full of dread and I woke up and I had a couple others that were more like close encounters of the third kind, like, pretty ufos like i think there was one i was like on a campground and there was like this galaxy spiral one up in the air like multicolored and it was really beautiful and so i had a couple things like that um yeah so aside from books a big part of what got me into the paranormal was uh brian brian uh our friend brian i'll talk more about him later but he was one of the ones that got me into that and then also uh my dad's cousin cliff who was like into like eric von daniken and um you know he was the one that told me about nikola tesla and all his his experiments um yeah i remember uh probably my fondest memory with cliff was i remember uh i was spending he was like uh babysitting me or whatever for the night and uh and uh there was apparently this phone 
out in the middle of the desert. I don't know which desert it was. It was like a, a phone booth that they would, you know, it was out in the middle of nowhere and people would come and check on it. And one night he has, he got the number online. This was like the early days of the internet, you know, like in the nineties. And, uh, he, uh, he calls the number and it's ringing and he gets so excited. He's like, just think of it, Matt. We're making a phone ring out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. That's so sweet. That is cool. Yeah, I uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, you know, but yeah, he was a character. He, he would dress up like in uh, uh, Civil War outfits and stuff and have a sword. <laughs> you know, nice. he was a very eccentric fella. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell more about Brian later, but yeah, Cliff, he was, I thought I'd mention him because he was kind of one of the people that got me into that stuff, but um and one more experience from my childhood was uh uh it's kind of more i almost count it as maybe my first quasi spiritual experience but like i decided to wake up or stay up for the night i wanted to watch the sun the sunrise of course i didn't know at the time i was too young i didn't know that i was looking in the wrong direction <laughs> for oh, the no. sun oh no oh no um, but anyways, so I stay up, I stay up till like six in the morning and I'm, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I had the bunk bed and I would look, look out my window sometimes. And I was kind of an introspective kid. I would talk to myself and think about, you know, deep stuff, at least deep for me at that time. And, uh, anyways, I waited and, uh, there was, uh, there's like a street that goes like a side street. that's right ahead of me, uh, that I looked down from my window. And there's two sets of like birch trees on each side of our parking lot. And there's on each side, there was these two cloud banks that were coming together and, uh, and they got closer and closer as morning came. And then like, as they were coming together, the, the stars were like kind of fading as the, you know, as the clouds were covering them. But then like the moment that those two cloud banks met this, this shooting star just flew across the sky. And, uh, Aww. I thought that was really cool. And, but thinking on it, like it was kind of meaningful to me because I thought like I might've been the only person in the world that saw that, saw that moment, mm -hmm. you know, and like looking back on it, I think of it as almost kind of like a, you know, some, someone saying hello, you know, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yep. imagine if you had looked in the correct direction for the sun, you wouldn't have seen that. Exactly. My consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's pretty much for my, uh, uh, experiences from my childhood, but, uh, I had a couple from my teens that really stand out to me. Um, one was how I first one I'll, sh I'll share was how I met my, my grandpa, my biological grandpa, my, uh, mom was adopted and, um, she, uh, uh, had tried to connect with my biological grandpa when I was younger, uh, but they didn't really hit it off. And uh, I had never met him. I think he might've stopped by when I was really young, but I don't remember him. So I didn't even know what he looked like. She had never shown me pictures of him. Um, I only really know, like I, I didn't even know his last name. Like I didn't bother to ask. I just knew his first name was Alan. <clears throat> so anyways, I had no intention of really connecting with him because hadn't really been a part of my life. So late in high school, my friends got me into church and, you know, I grew up 
agnostic and atheist, but they kind of brought me into it in my late teens. And so I started going to this church and uh, I was there for a couple months. And then I think I was like showing my mom the church directory and pointing out some of my friends, and, you know, and to her at some point. And she saw my grandpa's name in there. And he was uh, apparently, he was actually one of the elders there. And oh, I was God, there nice. for a couple months and neither of us knew <laughs> that the other was there. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So she reaches out to my, my pastor at the time and talks to him and he talks to Alan and then Alan reaches out to me. And uh, it was really awkward at first, you know, but um, we eventually started to connect. I remember there was even one time in the church where he like kind of opened up about it in front of everyone. You know, he didn't like mention me by name, but he was like talking about how he felt like there was this kind of miracle that happened and uh, in his life and meant a lot to him. And, and uh, I was able to uh, have a relationship with him for the last 15 years of his life. He passed a couple of years ago, but yeah, I mean, to think, really you know, out of amazing. thousands of churches in, in our area mm -hmm. that I end up at the one where he's at. Yeah. yeah. Just like the shooting star. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, uh, uh, the other one from my teens that really stands out when my parents split when I was about 19, uh, and I won't get into all the, all that drama, but, um, so, uh, I ended up, uh, a friend of mine, uh, took, picked up my sister and I to take us to different, cause my mom wasn't able to take us at the time. And, uh, uh, she went to stay with my, our friend. And then I went to stay with another friend and I, I spent the night in this uh, trailer in their backyard. And, um, uh, I had this, uh, I had this dream where, uh, I was, I was in the car with our friend and then we like went through a tunnel and crashed into the side of the tunnel Ooh. and then everything went red and I found myself falling down this pit with like fire and, and there were voices like mocking and mm -hmm. cackling and, and I thought I had and I, ha I felt this sharp pain in the back of my head and I thought I had died in my sleep you know and now I, I was going to hell and this was like you know I had kind of walked away from the church at the time you know because I was going through a lot and my parents had just split, so I was really disillusioned. But I cried out to God for help in the in the dream because I didn't know what else to do. And I woke up, and uh, and this was like the night that my parents split up. So just the timing of it, the sharp pain in the back of my head. You know, years later I look at it differently. I mean, at the time it was just like a really freaky nightmare. I was, you know, terrified. I think it was probably the most terrified I'd, I'd ever been up to that point in my life. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, I think of it as like, that was my answer. You know, whatever nightmare you find yourself in, you can wake up from it. Um, also years later, you know, I can get into it more later, but I went through a lot of struggles and with uh, evangelical Christianity, especially the whole hell thing. And to me, it's almost like you'll wake up from that too. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that fear that, you know, yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that one kind of, it's also was kind of a point where 
you know, with my parents splitting, that was like the before and after. It's actually 19 years ago. So this is like the halfway point. Or this was yeah, like the halfway right. point of my life. You know, and this this crazy dream is like in the center of it, you know. I can see that. Yeah. And then kind of, I think there was one in my, I think I was in my early 20s. So this wasn't too long after that. This one could might not be anything really paranormal, but you know, I thought I'd mention it because I always kind of wondered a little bit about it. But I was on the bus either heading to or from work. Um, and I, uh, there was this lady on the bus. And I think she was, she was middle-aged, dressed normally. But she was singing. She was like singing a hymn. You know, and she actually sounded pretty nice. She had a nice voice. But the weird thing was she was looking at me most of the time. And no one else seemed to be paying attention to her. It could just be the, you know, usual bus etiquette where you just ignore the crazy person. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. but the, the fact that no one else seemed to notice her and she was like singing this hymn and kind of, and she had like this warm energy about her. And then as I got off the bus, she was like looking at me as I was getting off the bus. I always kind of wondered a little bit about that one. I mean wasn't like it was something that had a big impact on me or anything. You know, I just figured it was some weird lady, you know, <laughs> and everyone was just ignoring her, but I don't know. It just, that one, I was kind of, I was kind of wondered about that one. I feel what like was the hymn? Hmm? What I, was don't, the hymn? I don't know. It wasn't one that I recognized. Hmm. So. I feel I have... like some, par- oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I feel like some paranormal things are, you know, Josh Kutchin always says, how many of them happen every day that are so little we don't notice them? <laughs> and right. I feel like that's almost that kind of paranormal thing. Yeah. Is because you're right, it is unusual. Like for all that don't make eye contact is bus etiquette with the crazy person. Right. <laughs> like eye contact, they're your responsibility. Right. But somebody yeah. would have noticed, like to have a whole busload of people not seemingly register a lady singing and singing well for a whole bus ride right is weird yeah yeah i mean it could i could be misremembering some you know maybe there were people that noticed but i'm just misremembering but thinking back on it i i seem to remember no one seemed to really be paying attention to her so i thought it was just kind of and the fact that she was focusing more on me than anyone mm-hmm. else you know mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah that's interesting yeah. Like that. Um, I, f- I thought I'd share a couple of the synchronicities that kind of happened to me in my 20s. So in my mid-20s, I was going through my evangelical Christian phase. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to, let's just say it was a roller coaster. It was a, it was a rough time. Um, it's part of who I am and there's some good that came out of it, but it was, it was mentally, a lot of mental and emotional ter- turmoil. Um, but during that time I had some experiences that, uh, were meaningful to me, mainly like synchronicities, uh, two that, uh, uh, um, I'll talk about ones that stand out. There was, there was one where I went to, uh, Disney world with, uh, my wife's mom. We were, uh, just dating at the time, but, uh, she was over there like doing an internship for Disney world. 
And so we went to visit her. And this is the furthest I'd ever been from home. I'd never you know, been that far from home before. And I was going through a lot mentally and emotionally because of the religious stuff. And uh, anyways, while I was there, I had brought this uh, devotional with me. I think it was like Bible readings on hope or something like that. And uh, so I, you know, I was reading that at the time. But anyways, we were in the Magic Kingdom and we were coming out of the Magic Kingdom. And there were like all these... Um, uh, on the ground, there were all these, you know, little plaque things, like thousands of them, you know, with someone's name and a date, whatever. And while we were walking out over the intercom, there was some, you know, sweet sounding lady who was like, anything is possible if you believe. And uh, so I remember that stuck in my head. And then I looked down and a particular number stuck in my head. And when I got back to uh, our hotel room, I looked up the number that had stuck up in my head, I looked that up in that Bible readings on hope and that same page, the entry was about how all things are possible. If you believe in God, all things are possible. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that one kind of, yeah. That's... <laughs> okay. Uh, um, uh, another one was, uh, so I, I did a lot of this kind of stuff. I guess you could call it, I don't know if you would call it the numerology or, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, where I would look at it, I mainly would look up in my journal, you know, and, and cause sometimes I would find something that I've written that would resonate, resonate with me at that time. <clears throat> so what I, so I was having a rough night one night at work. I was cleaning a, a library and, uh, I don't know if you remember, like in the libraries, they had all these you should read, you know, where there was like a celebrity holding up a book, you know, and yeah. encouraging you to read. And they had this whole line of these posters up on, on the wall at the library. And there was like six of them. And uh, I think there were two of them that were vertical, like the, the, the second one and the fifth one. And the rest of them were horizontal. The two that were uh, vertical were uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Abigail Breslin. And so <clears throat> while I was at work that night, I ran across a couple like slips of paper or something where I saw a number. Usually the numbers I, I would, would stick in my head were like three digit numbers. And so I had these two different numbers stick in my head. And then I was thinking about those posters. <clears throat> so I get, so when I get home, I'm looking up in my journals and the first number I look up, it's, uh, it's not the exact same page, but it's in the same entry. So it's like a five page entry. Cause sometimes I wrote long, you know, journal entries. And it was a, a quote from C.S. Lewis about being <laughs> in the Shadowlands, you know, and how, you know, basically like God is with you in the Shadowlands. And the second one, I looked at the number and it was the exact page, but it was talking about this when I was watching this movie uh, called, uh, Nim's Island that stars Abigail Breslin and mm -hmm. it was talking about how you you know need to learn how to find how, how to have courage you know in the face of difficulty and uh, so that one was pretty wild <laughs> mm -hmm. as <laughs> I recall Anthony Hopkins plays C.S. Yeah, Lewis yeah, in the he film. plays C.S. Lewis in this film called Shadowlands yeah. which was about his you know the loss of his his wife his wife. Mm -hmm. right. <clears throat> right. But yeah, so that one was pretty wild how it all lined up. 
Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. Your your synchronicity sounds like the the universe, you know, coming up behind you with the a stick and smacking <laughs> you right in the head with it and going, "Hey, <laughs> right, pay attention." <laughs> right. Those are two of the biggest ones. I mean, I had some other ones, but those are the ones that really come to mind. <clears throat> as far as as far as more uh, recent, like in my thirties. Um, couple things I could bring up. Uh, well, one that was as far as freaky stuff, one that was kind of interesting. I think this was a couple years ago. Uh, I had a dream where I was uh, walking up the hill that I usually walk up to from the bus to get home. <clears throat> and because uh, I work nights and I'm walking up this hill and at the top of this hill in the dream, there's this huge creature. And it's like, um, it looked like, you know, like, uh, like dog man, but in this case, it's a fox, like a fox man, but not, but more like on all fours, but abnormally long legs and really creepy looking. And I spot it and it spots me and it runs down the hill. And just before it gets to me, I wake up and I was so freaked out. Like I woke up Kaylin, you know, and I was, cause I, you know, needed someone to comfort me cause it really freaked me out. Um, the funny thing is I had a sense that, uh, the Fox might be my spirit animal, which is kind of good for you, which is really (laughs) weird. I'm like, well, that's a hell of a way to make an introduction. (laughs) Yeah. But foxes are not nice tricksters. I'm no, they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you, I I remember you guys mentioned, mentioned the Fox. And Mm -hmm. so I thought Mm -hmm. you might find that interesting. Um, a couple other dreams and these ones are much less freaky, much more encouraging. Um, (laughs) it's good. You have encouraging ones too, because I was like, if you only have really detailed, meaningful nightmares, like, oh, (laughs) you need to complain to like the manager or something. Yeah. When I was a kid, I I had a lot of nightmares as a kid. Now you don't want to be Karen to your dream manager, though. Morpheus, <laughs> Morpheus could try, okay? He right, could try. Right, right. I'd like uh, to talk to the manager, please. <laughs> well, yeah, like, uh, uh, nowadays, though, it's more, I don't have as many nightmares. But when I do, it's usually like body horror. Because that's oh. the thing that always bothers me. <laughs> yeah, I might mention that in a very recent dream. That, that's probably most recent experience but anyways these two encouraging dreams that really stood out to me they were within the last couple of years um first one is uh so i think it started out where i was looking for someone i was looking for a woman I'm not sure who and i i go into this building <clears throat> and there's this whole group of people surrounding this lady and i think she was some kind of celebrity and i wanted to talk to her but you know she was preoccupied with all these people. So I just kind of moved on and left the building. <clears throat> and then I found myself like near a beach, like on a pier. And, uh, you know, the sun was out and there was people kind of wandering about. And then I come up to this lady and, uh, she's this beautiful woman with auburn hair, young, and we embrace. But then when we embrace, like, like it's almost like I shrink down to like a childlike state and she feels like a mother and I just feel this sense of love, you know, 
and acceptance <clears throat> and safety, you know? Um, and like, it's almost like I knew what her name was and it said her name was Alana, which is kind of funny. Cause Alana was actually kind of my first quasi girlfriend when I was in high school. <laughs> but the, the thing, you know, I woke up, um, I looked up the name Alana. It actually means, um, like either beauty or serenity and also precious child. And so that kind of stuck with me. Um, uh, the other one, I was, um, uh, I was, I was like in a, I think in a field, like on a path, and there was this little girl running ahead of me, you know, wearing a sundress, and she had like shining, chromatic, like red hair, and she was running ahead of me. And then she turns to me like almost like in slow motion in a way. And she says, don't give up. And then I woke up. Okay. Morpheus did not, you know, do badly there. Yeah. Much, much better dream manager there. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. But those have, those have stood, um, stuck with me. Uh, I try to think on those when I need some encouragement. Um, it's interesting that you get red hair as a theme because you had Chucky, who's a redhead, right, and as a kid, and then you have Fox, and then right. you have auburn-haired woman of Serenity, right. Lana, and then you have this like blazing red, right-headed little well, girl. I mean, I do have like, a bit of a thing for redheads, but. <laughs> <laughs> The universe Guys knows. do. Everybody says blondes have more fun, but yeah, I've been playing. Um, I've been playing a, a Child of Light on my PS4, and that that had the main character is this redheaded little girl uh, or princess, and I partly gravitated towards the game because of that, you know, because of that association. <clears throat> um, so. This, I guess, brings me up to Brian. I remember you guys wanted to hear about Brian, my experiences mm-hmm. with Brian. So, uh, so Brian was, so my dad met Brian when they were working together. And this was like a long time ago. This is like um, 25 plus years ago, maybe closer to 30 years ago. And they were both janitors together. And so they introduced one another's families to one another. They were friends, and then his wife and my mom became friends. I became friends with his oldest son, and then eventually um, their second son, Kyle, came along. So I've known him since he was born, and now he's like in his mid-20s. But Brian was kind of like an uncle to my sister and I growing up. I mean, he he had a lot of struggles and issues. He struggled with alcohol and drugs, but he he was a really good guy. You know, he's the kind of guy who would give you the shirt off his back, and he helped a lot of people. Um, he was also, like I said, him and his family were super into the paranormal, so they were some of the people that kind of got me into that. Um, and uh, he was huge into Bigfoot. His That was his, like, he, his favorite show was Finding Bigfoot. His favorite movie was Harry and the Hendersons. He was just obsessed with Bigfoot. That was what people knew him for. Um but anyways, a few years ago, he, he got cancer and, and he was, he was like 
50 at the time. So he's pretty young. And my mom was there really there. For, my mom was like a big sister to him. And she was there for him more than anyone else was, you know, cause his wife had a lot of health issues. So she wasn't really able to come in and see him very often. Uh, he's, he was estranged from his family. So, uh, my mom was there, you know, kind of almost nursing him while he was in the hospital, helping him eat, and, you know, and just comforting him. And, um, I remember he, he, uh, he told us, he told us before he died, you know, he would do everything he could to try to contact us or, you know, get our attention. Um, eventually he passed. And, uh, after that he was coming to my mom in her dreams. And my mom is like, self-declared atheist she's one of the most skeptical people i know and she was having he was you know communicating with her in these dreams most of what he was saying was just you know thank you for being there for me and helping my family and and that sort of thing and he also bugged my sister a little bit to the point where my sister was like stop bugging me brian i'm trying to sleep (laughs) (laughs) um and uh uh he also came to his wife in a very vivid dream where they, he was literally just there in the living room where she usually sleeps like on the couch. And they, they had had some, a strained relationship towards the end. And he basically was just telling her, Hey, we're okay. You know, don't worry. Cause she was, had that on her mind. She felt bad, you know, cause she hadn't really been there for him much at the end. And they had been fighting a lot because of all the stress, but he just kind of worked it out with her and, that gave her a lot of peace. Um, I didn't really have much experience early on. I did have this one little weird thing, which might've been something because my wife, Kayla knew is a little bit on the sensitive side. She said it might've been something where I think it was a couple nights after Brian passed and I was walking home and I come along this little mouse. This little mouse is like just sitting there on the sidewalk and it might have been a baby rat, I don't know which, but and it was just chilling. And I and I bent down and I like gave it a little pet and it didn't run off or anything. It was just chilling. And it didn't seem like it was sick or anything. It was just relaxed and eventually I just moved on. You know, but Kay Kay was like, Well, maybe that's a sign from Brian. <laughs> you know, it could be. You know, sometimes animals behave strangely at times like that. But I have my experience with him probably about a year after he passed where I had this dream and I think I was in a field somewhere and I came up to him. I couldn't see his face. It's almost like I could only see him from like the neck down. It was weird. Like his, his face was just kind of like misty or like I couldn't make it out. But I knew it was him, and I came up to him, and I hugged him, and I said I was glad to see him and everything. I couldn't remember anything that he said except for the word Tualatin, which is a town here in, in Oregon. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, I woke up, and later I asked my mom, and then she asked uh, his wife, Kelly, about it. And neither of them could really think of any association with Brian, you know, and Tualatin. And uh, so... You know, for a couple months, you know, I just kind of stuck it in the back of my head and I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Um, and then I was at work one day and I was thinking about it again and it dawned on me. I was like, Brian Bigfoot, you know, that's his big thing. So I looked up Brian, or I looked up Bigfoot and Tualatin 
the first thing that pops up in my Google search is the Oregon Bigfoot Festival, which is going to be taking nice. taking place in two weeks from then in Tualatin. I hadn't heard about this. I didn't know about it. And, you know, and so I was just blown away. I was like, whoa, okay. So maybe Brian wants me to go to this Bigfoot Festival. So unfortunately, I'd become estranged with his oldest son, you know, and I tried reaching out, but he wasn't interested. But his younger son, Kyle, I reached out to him and he was interested in going. And I also reached out to our friend Keith, who was also kind of thought of Brian as a, an uncle growing up. And then so me and Kyle and Keith and then Keith's little four-year-old daughter, Sophie, we all go to the Bigfoot Festival in 2019. And, you know, we had a really good time. You know, they got pictures with the, the guys dressed up as Bigfoot and everything. And, and it was just a way of, you know, honoring Brian and remembering Brian. Um, but that's probably the clearest kind of communication I feel like I've ever got from anyone that's passed on, you know, and I, I find some comfort in it cause it's like, gives me some confirmation or at least more confirmation personally that life does go on after death. And almost in a recognizable sense, because Brian wasn't just like saying I'm here. He's like settling things. He's making sure his wife is okay. He's making right. sure you got to go and have fun. He's contacting people who right. to thank them. Right. Like, there's a distinguishable personality there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we had also promised him, you know, that we would try to take care of his family or help take care of his family. Uh, I mean, his oldest son, CJ, is fine. He's got a steady job in his own place. And, and now his wife, because of all of her health issues, she's now living in an adult foster care. So she's being taken care of. I recently was able to help his youngest son, Kyle, get his first job. And he's doing really well. He's, I'm, actually, I'm really proud of him. He's That's uh, really working good. in my company. And, and it's kind of come full circle, too, because now Kyle's working in my company as a janitor. And now we're both in the same company, kind of like my dad and Brian. We're both yeah. janitors in the same company. So, yeah, it comes full circle. I, oh, I, I forgot to mention one experience my mom had with Brian uh, that was a little more than just a dream thing. Um, so a couple years back, we, we had some major issues with our electricity bill because we had, you know, we're having financial issues and it kind of got away from us and we owed a lot. And so they shut off our electricity for like a couple of weeks. And thankfully a, a, a high school friend just out of the blue sent us a check for $2,000, you know, which saved us. Um, but anyways, the, the night before we were able to get our power back on, I was at work. Um, my wife, Kaylin, was staying at her mom's and my mom was by herself in our apartment with all the lights out. She just had her lantern on and our, our cat, Roxy, at the time, Roxy passed a couple of years ago. But, uh, but anyways, um, she was just sitting there in her chair, just feeling kind of really down you know, about the whole situation, you know, uh, but, uh, she said, uh, she heard Roxy meow in the hallway cause she, her room's like right in front of the hallway. And, uh, she, uh, looked up and she saw like this, uh, 
like almost a what looked like a humanoid figure, like just the upper half of it, float like from the hallway into my room just very quickly, you know, just for like maybe a couple seconds. And she, she was kind of really like, whoa. And the funny thing was she goes, Roxy, did you see that? And then Roxy just meows at her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but maybe, maybe with that in mind, I could share a couple things of uh, my mom's and uh, mm-hmm. my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So my mom, she's mentioned that she had poltergeist experiences when she was younger, when she was a teenager, um, like things flying, you know, flying off shelves and that sort of thing. Um, she's also one of those where sometimes when she's gone under street lights, they'll go off as she goes underneath them. Um, uh, and we've also, my mom and I have a weird, almost telepathic connection sometimes, mm-hmm. which is a little funky where like there, there's been times where we're talking and what she's going to say pops up into my mm-hmm. head before she says it. Mm-hmm. Really, really kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens sometimes. It's, bizarre um and then you guys know when the other one of you is in trouble uh i don't know i mean we're like upset it wouldn't surprise me uh i wouldn't be surprised but uh i I ask because my mom and i do that oh yeah yeah that's the weird thing is even though my mom is a skeptic she's also kind of on the sensitive side you know where she picks stuff up sometimes I think maybe if she wasn't so skeptical, she could probably pick up more. But uh, maybe that's why she is skeptical. It might be a form of protection. Could be a coping. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with up. this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kaylin thinks of herself. My wife, Kaylin, thinks of herself as a sensitive too. A couple of her experiences. She uh, uh, the night that her grandma passed away, and she was really close to her grandma. Her grandma actually helped raise her she like actually passed about a year before she and I met. Um, she said she was just lying, lying on her bed crying. And then she felt like a hand softly touch her back. And then, you know, she looked around, there was no one there. She kind of thought of it as her grandma saying goodbye. And the, the weird one with the maybe flannel man was where, uh, I guess she was at her, her mom's house And out of the corner of her eye, she saw someone walk by that looked like they were wearing a red flannel shirt and blue jeans. And it was just real quick, just out of the corner of her eye. So it wasn't anything, you know, major. But, you know, I'd mentioned the whole flannel man thing to her. And she's like, oh, I might have seen one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out why they got to wear, you know, plaid. Right. Yeah, I was I was inspired by strange familiars. I actually bought myself a, a flannel coat, although I got like the black and gray one rather than the red and red and black because that's a little too extra for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in Oregon. It's like everybody wears flannel, so yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I had a, a. I guess I could mention a couple very recent experiences I had. Uh, uh, I've sometimes had, uh, 
things pop up into my head that have been meaningful. Like I remember, I think a few months ago, I was in the shower, you know, where I, I usually tend to try to pray, I guess, you know, that's kind of my prayer closet. I, I'm like in the spiritual, not religious category at this point. Um, so just kind of putting putting out there for whoever's listening. <laughs> it's a fun yeah. category. That's basically right. where I land too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And uh, I had what came into my mind was, uh, when you see the light within you, you will see the light all around you. And I've I've had things like that pop in my head. Re- most recently, I think a couple weeks ago, I was walking home, and there's this canopy of trees I walk under on my way home, you know, know, with the streetlights coming through them that can be really pretty at night. And I look up, look up at them. I kind of stop and look up this night and the wind starts blowing. And then I hear this in my mind. I hear you are part of everything and everything is part of you. That was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then a couple nights ago, Speaking, going back to dreams, this one's really funky. Uh, so in the, I have two different dreams because I, I had one dream, then I woke up, and then I had another dream. Uh, the first dream, I'm talking to some guy about dreaming in the dream. And we're talking about how not all dreams are super important. Some of, There's little dreams and big dreams, although even the little ones can maybe say something about the person's personality if you dig deep enough. And, uh, and also in part of that dream, I had some of the body horror stuff where there's like people being dismembered. That was really freaky. Right. And in the second dream, Morpheus was added again. Right. <laughs> in the second dream, I'm talking to someone about how I didn't like all that dismemberment in that first dream. <laughs> you were talking to the manager. <laughs> right. So it's like a dream within a dream within a dream. Mm-hmm. Very meta. <laughs> I have I have stuff like that happen. You have big dreams, little dreams, and meta dreams. Right, right. You know, to me, like the 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 woman on the pier and the um and the uh, the little g- redheaded girl. Those are like big dreams for me. Uh, oh, right. also in the dream, uh, in the second dream that I had recently, there I was trying to talk to or catch up with and talk to a girl that I had a crush on in high school named Andrea, who I haven't thought about in a long time. So I don't know how that popped in there, but I looked up the name Andrea and it was like meant courage, uh, uh, bravery or, um, uh, warrior. So I thought that was kind of, that, that's one of the things I was wondering about is like, you know, for, with, uh, Alana, for example, I had never really looked up the name Alana, it's like, how am I getting this information? You know, is it like some kind of collective unconscious that we pull from when we're in a dream state or, you know, I've kind of wondered about that. I, I suspect it's a little of column A, a little of column B. I right. think, I do think that there is a collective unconscious and that we do pull from it in dream and in waking life too. Yeah. But I also think that there's there's something to be said for getting messages from the universe, <laughs> right? And I yeah. do think I do think we get them, right? Um, whether whether the universe actively sends out messages specifically for each of us, I don't know. But I, I think we pick them up 
when we're in the right mind state, like my right time of year, maybe all these little things like line up and then all of a sudden you can hear the universe for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, Did you guys have any like questions or comments about any of my experiences? Um, I want to ask about redheads now and not like in a joking <laughs> way, just like in a, you have a string of redheads. Right. Is there, is there a significance to that? I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't known a lot of redheads in my life, um, but it could be a symbolic thing um, or even want to throw in, throw in foxes in there. You know, they have a lot of foxes have red hair. Uh, I know, I know it tends to be like associated with passion or, or, or fire or, um, so maybe that's, I don't know, the universe's way of telling me to follow my passion or fire or whatever, you know, who knows? (laughs) So, um, I was thinking, you know, we could maybe talk about some of the things I've been reading or, or, or thinking about and see what, what you guys think of them. Sure. Um, Hold on a second. Oh, I just ahead. looked up your last name. Uh-huh. Wiley. Yeah. Cause I do these things. Right. Um, I was wondering if it was, if it was Irish or English, it's English. Mm-hmm. Um, and the meaning from the middle English is willow wood. Okay. Um, hold on. As I recall, there is another connection with willows. So just since we're talking about dreams so much. I have no idea where you're going. That's what I thought. Um, Willow is a symbol of fertility and new life. A willow branch can be planted in the ground and from it, a new tree Mm -hmm. will grow in its place. Okay. Um, Its ability to grow and survive is powerfully symbolic and show how we can thrive in even challenging conditions. Hmm. That that resonates. (laughs) You can chew on the sticks and alleviate a headache. Yep. (laughs) Willow bark is where mm-hmm. you get um, salicylic aspirin. acid. Yeah. Right. Which is aspirin. So I was thinking Wiley Coyote because. Oh, yeah. Um, I was too when he brought up the fox. I'm like. Yeah, my dad, uh, he, that was actually his nickname when he was in the Navy. He had like a, <laughs> he had like a Wiley Coyote hat and everything. And, well. Yeah, he, well, he was Irish. My dad's Irish on, on his side. And then my mom's mostly in English on her side. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking I'm thinking that the red hair probably comes from the Irish part. Probably. There's just so many red-haired Irish deities and spirits. Foxes. Right. Foxes fox is a very English and Irish animal sort of symbol. Isn't mouse an Irish Spirit animal, not spirit Maybe. animal, but spirit messenger. Could be. I think so. it's I've had I've had a couple. Uh, well, not mice, but rodents. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Uh, yeah, when I watched uh, 
the Suicide Squad recently that, you know, not to spoil, but there's a part where they kind of, there's a message like about how even the lowliest of creatures can, can uh, have a purpose or make an impact and they're referencing rats. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's been a couple of times I've rescued baby rats from precarious situations. <laughs> like I rescued a baby rat out of a, one, one of those sticky traps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I was at work and one got stuck in there and I just felt bad for him. And I spent like a half an hour get precarious, you know, just tentatively trying to get him out of it. And eventually I did. <laughs> You yeah, were the same soul. <laughs> I, I used to keep rats. Um, yeah. Ever since I was a kid, off and on, I've kept rats. Um, I right. haven't had one in a while because right now I have ferrets, and I decided that that would be too stressful for my pet rat. Right. It would be to try and live in a house with, like, one of its predators. <laughs> nice. I'm a little jealous of people who, where rodents have chosen them because ducks chose me. i really wanted to be like a small like fox coyote squirrels ferrets even minks they're jerks but i'll take a mink no i got (laughs) right yeah so uh i was gonna say i uh uh so basically um I, I, like I said, I won't, don't want to go into too much detail, but you know, I, I came out of the church about, uh, back in my late twenties and I've been kind of, kind of in a, I guess a spiritual agnostic kind of place. Um, and, um, but recently I've been getting into like researching a lot of near death experiences, reincarnation, spirit communication. Um, and all that kind of stuff, which is what, you know, got me into Strange Familiars and your show. And I've also been listening to podcasts like Let's Talk Near Death and the Past Lives podcast and some others. Uh, fortunately, with my work, you know, working nights, by mostly by myself, I'm able to listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm working, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, uh, and I've been reading a lot of books. And uh, like I said, the one that um, really jumped jumped out at me was uh michael talbot's the holographic universe that one uh really kind of uh uh, blew my socks off i guess because i i initially discovered him through uh there's this new thinking aloud um youtube channel they've been doing uh shows for a long time uh jeffrey mishlove and there's this old interview they posted with uh, Michael Talbot. And, uh, for one, it kind of jumped out at me cause he died this same age. I am 38, which is a little sobering, uh, back in the nineties. But, uh, yeah, just what he was saying about the idea of the holographic universe. It, uh, I don't know, something about it kind of resonated. And, um, I started looking into quantum physics a little bit. And, um, like I said, I'm still kind of exploring it and uh trying to understand the different concepts but like i like the idea of uh david bohm uh, who was a uh, uh, mentored by einstein and was friends with the dalai lama like this is a guy maybe not as many people have heard of but he you know he was kind of a big 
big influence in, in quantum physics, even though he was kind of considered an outsider by some. Um, but his idea of the uh, implicate and explicate order kind of resonated like the, the idea the implicate order is like where when you go further down everything is one and there's a there's a wholeness everything's interconnected and interpenetrating one another like i'm you you're me that kind of thing but then in the explicate order everything on the surface appears more fragmented and separate and uh i don't know that something about that kind of resonated with me and also kind of connects with a lot of mystical experiences you know where mm-hmm. people feel that sense of oneness and uh so i've been exploring that i've also been looking into uh recently you know trying to think about because i went through a lot as a evangelical christian and i still have some wounding and trauma from all that i think and i've been thinking about how do i heal from that like a friend recommended this these podcasts these these guys uh ear biscuits and they shared some of their their story of how they spiritually deconstructed. And, and uh, the one guy was saying he considers himself a hopeful, hopeful agnostic. And they were kind of like thinking about it. And they were like, one guy, the other guy was saying that he noticed how a lot of people will have profound spiritual experiences that sometimes don't fully uh, connect with or sometimes seem to contradict one another. And, but he was wondering if maybe whatever it is that's behind everything meets people where they are you know mm-hmm. and that's that could like i noticed even from my researching near-death experiences they don't all line up like theologically or with their metaphysical implications you know sometimes they have different ideas of how things work mm-hmm. um the mechanics of reality like are expressed differently to different people the thing just, that, oh i'm sorry oh go ahead i just um recently I, I like I said I went back to school and one of my classes is the global occult, mm-hmm. which is like the best college class ever. Wow! <laughs> um, but we just um, watched a lecture from David Kripal or Jeffrey Kripal, not David Kripal, Jeffrey Kripal, uh-huh. and he was talking about how the phenomena of whatever is behind, you know, all of this otherworldly phenomena. Is both shaped by and shapes people's beliefs, like right. sort of at the same time, right. Right. and that mirrors that that fits in with what you're saying really right. well. You are part um, of everything. Right. Everything is part of you, and it meets you where you are. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and it it will be contradictory from person to person because what you are also shapes how you see it. Right. Mm-hmm, I think. And I also think it does shape itself so you can see it better right, at the same right. time. And there's this really, inter- there's such an interconnectedness between humanity and whatever else is, whatever the other is. Mm-hmm. Like we we reflect each other and right. talk to each other constantly, I think. Right. I, I think, um, uh, I remember I was kind of wrestling with this stuff about how things seem to contradict one another. And uh, on the Let's Talk Near Death podcast, she, the lady, uh, Christy Salisbury, she does, uh, um, or Christy Salisbury, she does uh, live streams. And she was doing this live stream with this one lady. 
And I, I jumped in on the live stream and I asked a question on there. And it was about, you know, what would you say about how these different experiences don't always really line up with one another? And um, she said she gave this analogy, which is an analogy that was similar to what another analogy I'd heard of the same kind, which kind of confirmed it a little bit. But her analogy was that there's like millions of paths up the same mountain. And as we some on each path, there's some things that get right, some things that get wrong. And, but then as you go further up the mountain and get closer to the top, things become a little clearer. And the, the main thing is that you're learning and growing and love and wisdom. And those are like the, the threads that, that tie a lot of these experiences together for people is it's yeah. about love and, and, and growth, you know, yes. and right. And that's what I, I try to see, you know, like, like I remember when you, I was listening to your guys's episode on John Keel with the what was it the the, the ultra terrestrial mm-hmm. right and I mean I I I feel ashamed I haven't even re- I think I read Mothman prophecies like back in my teens I recently ordered a copy and I'm going to reread it sometime probably in the next couple months but anyways um. I can imagine probably with all of his experiences, why he would get into such a dark headspace, you know, where thinking everything's coming after him. And this is all some big cosmic joke where they're just playing with us. Partly because of my background in the church, you know, dealing with the fear of hell and all that kind of stuff. I'm someone, I'm stubbornly hopeful. Mm-hmm. I refuse I to believe that. that I, I, I refuse to believe that the core of the universe is malevolent. Um, for one, I, I, my own spiritual experiences don't really point in that direction. It points in the direction of things being weird, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> point in the yeah. direction of being. I'm open to the idea that there are dark forces, you know, that you could equate with demonic, if you want to call it that. But I don't subscribe to the idea of them having greater or equal power to the light. Um, and so I, I choose to believe you know, that at the, I remember, I think it, Mr. Rogers said something along the lines of, you know, at the center of the universe, there's this, there's this force that, that loves all of us and would, you know, do anything for us. And, you know, we don't need to be afraid, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And even though I no longer identify as Christian, I still, I guess you could, I, Part of what drew me away from it was I got into universalism or the idea that, um, that, you know, basically no one goes to hell or at least not forever. You know, if there is such a place that it's only temporal, um, because I wrestled so much with that because so many people in my life, you know, were atheist or agnostic or otherwise didn't, uh, didn't meet the standard of the evangelical Christian faith for salvation, you know, or whatever you want to call it. And they're all, doomed to hell. And so I was wrestled deeply with that, you know, not to mention fearing for myself because I never felt good enough. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I've, I still subscribe to that. I try to be more hopeful and believe that we're the universe is evolving us towards something, all of us, you know, even if it means us having to have multiple lives or, 
or, or experiences, even if it maybe some people can't change for the better in this life, but they might in the next, you know. And so I try to have that hope, you know, and, you know, I don't want to be dogmatic or biased. I want to be as humble and as flexible as I can, but I still hold on to that, you know, partly for my own sanity, you know, <laughs> especially in crazy times like yeah. this. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to, you know, established science and, and things that we've made discoveries that we have more certainty about, I think it's, I think people, you know, should, should uh, listen to that more. But when it comes to things like the ultimate nature of reality and why we're here, and we don't really have solid answers about that. So why should we feel like we have to believe in something that's, that just depresses the hell out of us. You know? <laughs> You've got a yeah. very good point. You know, Absolutely. why not choose to believe something that gives us hope? You know, it's like we don't even belief. really know anyway for sure. Why not just have we hope? We may as well have fun with it. Right. <laughs> you know, choose hope over despair. Um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think as far as humans are concerned, that is a much healthier and saner approach. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that doesn't mean like, that John Keel is completely wrong. Oh, there are be no, things no. that are going on that where they are just messing with us, but I, I think just, there's some of know. that too. I think, right, I think right. there's I, so many things going on we're never it, gonna I know. think it's both and rather than yes. either, you know. Yes. Um, absolutely. Right. Okay. Uh, Speaking of Fox. When you were talking about going up the mountain, there are many paths, but there's the summit right. of the mountain. There's one summit. There right. is a book and it jumped into my head. And then I, I had to like keep from laughing because of who wrote it. But I think you'll like it. It's uh -huh. called One River, Many Wells, Wisdom okay. Springing from Global Faiths. And it's written by Matthew Fox. Oh, yeah. I've who who yeah. had been... Uh, I believe he was a Jesuit. Or the Christ I consciousness believe, guy, right? Yes, I believe he was a Jesuit, and and they kicked him out. No, he was Benedictine. <laughs> I'm sorry, they kicked yeah. him out, and so now he's an Episcopalian. I've been curious. But I think about he him. leans very closer to the Universalist. Yeah, sort of, I've I've um, uh, understanding I've been that to check him out, that. but I haven't yet. Yeah. I well, that's that's what jumped into my head, and you'd just been talking about foxes and whatnot. Yeah, I, I I should probably do that. Yeah, that brings up uh, something I thought I've been thinking about that maybe we could talk about. But uh, I, like I was saying before we started, I I tend to think of uh, materialist materialist science and fundamentalist religion as kind of like almost the dual gatekeepers of, re of reality for the world today. Um, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that science is bad or, and I don't think that spirituality is bad. I think materialism, which I guess is a philosophy that basically, you know, just it's matter at the bottom of everything. Consciousness comes from the brain and it's just, there's there's a number of scientists that have this just very dogmatic view about that and they and any any kind of evidence or data that that questions that viewpoint they'll dismiss you know like i have um my friend steve uh high school buddy he's he's a great guy you know i love him he's like a brother to me but he's a very 
die on the wool atheist. And he's, uh, you know, anytime I try to bring up stuff like this, like paranormal stuff, he's just like, that's, a, you know, basically a bunch of BS and it's, it's, you know, stupid. And, and it, he doesn't say it, you know, cause he's a nice guy, but he kind of implies that anybody's stupid who believes in that kind of stuff. And he even had strange experiences when he was younger that he, he mentioned, but he just considers it all hallucinations and all in his head, you know, yeah. and, and that's how he processes it. And, um, you know, obviously in my experience, I've had more issues with fundamentalist religion and in their case, instead of them just thinking it's a bunch of hallucinations and BS, they think it's all demonic, you know, anything oh, yes. right within their narrative, yeah. you know, if it's a near-death experience or a vision that includes Jesus and it winds up with the Bible, then, oh, okay, that's great. But if it doesn't, then it must be from Satan, you know? Yes. Oh, yes, I remember that. And, yes. Yeah, and it's, <clears throat> I mean, I can understand to a point. I think that, I think that as human beings, we want to fit things into a narrative because it's more comfortable, because we have more certainty or more stability by making everything mm-hmm. fit. It's funny, like like I said, I was listening to those podcasts on the Ear Biscuits where they were talking about how they spiritually deconstructed. And, I, and one of the things that kind of jumped out was they said they even had a friend that they were talking to and he kind of knew that they were going through this. And he even said something along the lines like, I don't want to hear any more of it because I think you'll convince me and I can't afford to make that change. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, because it was weird... too much of his identity was wrapped up in that, you know, his yes. family life and everything. Yes. It's really, really hard if if it's your whole family right? Um, to break away. I was lucky in that my dad is very agnostic and can't be bothered to right. go to church. That's like um, everything about my grandfather is he can't be bothered. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can't be arsed. To do anything, really. Right. And then my mother is, her understandings of religion are very, very simple and mm-hmm. very, but when I was young, she just really, she would occasionally get a, a religious feeling and we'd go to church for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And then it just, she'd just wander off with it, right? you know, and um I was the one who went to church on my own. And uh, the last one I went to was a fundamentalist, non-denominational, trying to be a cult thing. Right. And uh, they they did really badly with the trying to be a cult thing. They only had about 15 members, but they tried. I will give them that. Right. Um, And and when my best friend and I got up and left in the middle of uh, service one one Sunday and, and walked out. They, they did try to send the other kids to us in school to, you know, come and get us to come back. And we were kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, nah, man, we're not, no. Um, okay. so it was easy enough for us to leave, but I, I figure if your family is involved and you've really invested yourself into right the belief system, it's nearly impossible. Well, and when it's your, it's your sense of community too, is the church. I grew up close to my church growing up. We're Catholic and you develop all of your friends. Your, the community itself is centered around 
the church. And when you lose that church, you lose that community and that that's, that can be devastating. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was pretty lucky when I left cause I was kind of the wallflower, you know, I had a couple of friends mm-hmm. in the church and they were what was keeping me there. As long as I stayed, I probably would have left a lot earlier if it wasn't for that. Um, when I left it, there wasn't a whole lot of fanfare cause I wasn't super involved in, you know, a lot of activities, you know, uh, so it was pretty, uh, uneventful for me when I left, but I've ever since then, I've been trying to find a sense of community. You know, like I got little yeah. things like Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, I got other ways of connecting with people and making friends. But as far as like having a spiritual community, I, I haven't found one since. But yeah, I was going to say that whole thing. It kind of reminds me of how some scientists like they're, they're not able to uh, get into something different or look at things in a different way sometimes because they're afraid of the reaction. They're afraid they'll lose their job or Mm -hmm. lose their support. I've just seen, I see certain parallels between them, uh, between Mm -hmm. the more dogmatic approaches to those different sides of how we look at, you know, science and spirituality. Like to me, materialist science is kind of the equivalent of fundamentalist religion. It's, mm-hmm. it's that same kind of, you know, it, they're using a sense of authority. Like, you know, we have tradition behind us. We have, you know, we're the authority, so we mm-hmm. must be right about everything, you know, and it's, it's like a more, it's like a more twisted version of something that's inherently good a good thing, but it's like taking it and turning it into something that, that where you're kind of beating people over the head with it. Yeah. And it, it becomes instead of science, which is a process by which we understand right. the universe, it becomes scientism, which right. is a set of beliefs right. about the universe that have turned right. into concrete. And uh, it it's a problem. That's one of the good things about this whole, the government said, there are UAPs, there are, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena. There's crap up there flying around. We don't know what right. it is. That's right. good. Right. Because like, good. maybe some scientists can finally talk about it out in the open and not have to worry about their funding exactly. being cut. Because you right know. now it's all the humanities. <laughs> We're right. the yeah. ones sticking our necks yeah. out. I remember, yeah. uh, I remember Michael Talbot, he mentioned in, in one of his books about what he calls the limit syndrome. Which yes. he, he noticed that a lot of science scientists throughout history, when they make these new discoveries, they'll be like, this is the thing that will explain everything. You know, and what we've reached the horizon and there's, you can go no further. And uh, that's kind of like what David Bohm was pointing out. He was trying to say that that's one of the problems that we have is that we just assume that he was even saying that even quantum theory and relativity, mm-hmm you know, that these things can get us closer to what's going on, but there might be even more beyond that, you know, exactly. that we're, we're not aware of, you know, and that's the thing I like try when I try to talk to my friend, Steve, I try to get across to him. It's, it's, it's hard because I, I recognize that I can have certain biases and I, I know that I have a desire to believe that the, the universe has meaning and purpose. I don't want to believe that we're just all here by chance and it's just point, you know, we're just, machines, you know, or when we die, that's it. You know, I don't want to believe those things. And, you know, he even pointed out, he said, you know, whatever the truth is, it is, you know, regardless of our opinions or our feelings, which is true, you know, which I agree with. But like I said, you know, it's, 
like I was saying, that we don't know everything, especially when it comes to the ultimate ultimate nature of reality. You know, like Steve was even telling me that, you know, yeah, he 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 doesn't know whether there's life after death. He, but he was kind of saying he would be angry if it turned out there was. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's partly because it, he, he would he would be wrong. <laughs> He'd have to admit he was wrong. But I, you know, but yeah. So it's um, I think it's Steve's just, waiting to be a ghost. <laughs> that's how you get ghosts. That's funny. <laughs> I remember one time. I remember one time telling me telling Steve. Uh, uh, you're one of the most Christ-like people I know. And he like did the side of the cross. He's like, eh, no, no, no. <laughs> it burns, it burns. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I trying to be humble and, and flexible as much as I can. And it, it can be hard sometimes. And I think it's more just trying to be self-aware of those tendencies with the, we have to want to try to 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 force or control a narrative to try to make reality fit to the way we want it to be and it's a balance because i i don't think we should just accept everything that authorities tell us just just because you know we we can listen to them people that have more knowledge in certain areas and 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 weigh what they have to say and look at the data and all that if it makes sense then great but if there's, I don't think it's so much a matter of it being wrong as being um, incomplete or limited, mm. you know, because as humans, we're incomplete and limited. And there's, there's always going to be, there's probably always going to be more that we don't know than what we do know. And, Absolutely. and from all my experience, you know, that's kind of the position I've come to. And I've tried to approach things rather than dogmatically, like more exploratory. I, I remember there was this one guy in this one podcast that was saying, maybe we could have like a experimental spirituality. Like, like he was even pointing out how, how people have different personalities. And so maybe different forms of meditation would resonate with different kinds of people. And he said, part of the problem is people tend to like try to be formulaic about things and think that one thing will work for everybody when you know, there might need to be more diversity of, of experience and practice that resonates with different kinds of people. I like the concept of experimental spirituality. I think mm -hmm. that would help a lot of people who feel an urge to be spiritual, but because of right. past bad experiences, don't reach for it. Right. Mm -hmm. well, the same for and, science, for that matter, you know. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Reading a sense of wonder and curiosity towards things, you know, rather than just, you know, like, well, this can't be real because it, you know, were, you were talking about the boggle factor. This can't, this, there, yes, this can't be legitimate because it goes beyond my boggle factor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know. Kendra was just posting today on Facebook in defense of wonder. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't stomp on somebody's wonder. How yeah. did you put it? Uh, many ways. I'll look it up because I can't remember the wording. <laughs> and I also, I was, I was in a mood. <laughs> I, I also don't want to discount people's negative experiences. I, I admit that, you know, like I've heard like hellish NDEs and, and different demonic experiences that kind of trigger me a little bit because of my past religious experience. But 
and there was a time when I was just saying, well, those people might, might, must be making it up or, or they're being deceived or something, you know, but then uh, over time I'm like, well, that's not fair. You know, it's like the, the kind of attitude I want to have is if I would hope that others would, would be willing to hear me out on my experiences, maybe I need to hear them out too. I don't necessarily have to agree with their interpretation of their experience, but I can at least acknowledge that they had an experience that was real for them. Mm-hmm. And that includes things that I find disturbing or that have implications that I find disturbing, but there could be other ways of, you know, just because someone had a hellish NDE doesn't necessarily mean that there is an everlasting hell that people will go to when they die. If they've been bad, it could be more complicated than that. You know? Yeah. I was going to say, when you talked about your dream, when you descended in into this fiery pit and there were screaming voices, mocking voices, there are some uh, understandings of hell, which is simply that it is the absence of God. Mm-hmm. That hell is the absence of being connected to God, which means being connected to everything. Right. And so what happened when you fell into that pit, you called upon God and it stopped. Well, that's the thing, like in a lot of near-death experiences like that, once people call out for help, they're immediately answered. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the part that the fundamentalist churches screw up and make right. really horrifying for people. They don't. They, they, it's like once you're fallen, that's it. Bye bye. Right. Yeah. There, was this, uh, there was this interesting episode. I think it was on the Past Lives podcast I listened to. This guy who had really struggled with the idea of hell. And he, uh, uh, he had this idea about that hell could be like a thought form, like a massive thought form uh, uh, or a tulpa or whatever you want to call it that people have created through the ages. So there might be some people, just like there's some people who become, who would be a ghost that would be stuck on earth or earthbound because they don't realize they're dead or because they're not ready to move on. There might be some people that end up in some kind of co-created state Mm -hmm. Uh, that would be comparable to hell or purgatory or whatever you want to call it. And they might find themselves there after they die because they think they deserve to be there, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it could even be as explicit as having demons running around with pitchforks and all the classic imagery that people have put into that thought form. And, but the thing is, once you realize you don't really belong there, that that's not really your home, then you come out of it. Just like mm-hmm. a, a ghost, I would assume, once they realize that they don't really belong here on earth, they they can they move, move on. on. Right. And so I'm, I am open to those kinds of ideas, you know, and uh, just the idea of there being hopelessness, you know, that there's no way out. That's what I was like. There was this one lady on another podcast where that was her. She was a covering meth addict. And she had a near-death experiences. When she went down into hell, her interpretation was she thought that she would be there forever and that she deserved it. And I even talked to the host of the podcast about it, you know, and she she agreed with me that she kind of questioned that lady's interpretations that she still has some more to process, you know, that there's probably some sense of self-worth that she needs to gain to 
not interpret her experience in such a negative light. And she, she did get out of that, you know, and, and have a more heavenly experience after that. But yeah, you know, I think that's the thing is just learning to uh, not interpret your experience in such a way that it it's questioning your self-worth or, you know, right. you know. but okay, I, Kendra, do you have your one? No, I'm massaging my neck. I've had a headache for days. I apologize. Oh, okay. I'm oh, just trying to hit this one trigger point at the base oh, okay. of my skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I apologize. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, so, uh, I've just, I guess I've been exploring all this, this kind of stuff because I'm trying to work through, you know, I, I was when I was an atheist in my teens and then a, an evangelical in my 30 or my 20s neither path really fully resonated with me it, it's it's funny kind of bringing it back to the paranormal that was always what I was into as a kid like it was really the first kind of I guess you could say spirituality I was exploring because I just found it so interesting you know all the cryptids and ghosts and UFOs and everything else I was always drawn to that. And it's funny when I was an atheist, you know, I was like reading Carl Sagan and people like that. They, they put down paranormal stuff a lot. And, and then I like, I like pulled back from it during that time, you know, because I was like, Oh, that that's, they say that's BS and that's stupid. So I shouldn't touch it. And then when I was in the church, it was the same kind of thing from a different direction where they're saying, Oh, that's all demonic. That's bad. You shouldn't look into that stuff. And it's kind of funny how it's like now that I'm back, I'm in my thirties and I'm kind of in a weird middle place. I'm getting back into that stuff. Cause I've always kind of wondered if those things are maybe a key to the nature of reality and what's going on behind the scenes, almost like uh, uh, little doorways into, you know, what's, what's really going on, you know, and maybe that's why people are so drawn to the paranormal and, and metaphysical and all those experiences. Cause maybe we have this intuitive sense that those things are trying to tell us something. I think there's a lot. I think that a lot of that is, is very close to being true. Um, As much as anything about the paranormal can be said to be true. Cause I mean, we, we're never going to (laughs) know. Right. Right. But But it makes the most sense. Um, I think you know, a lot of these experiences that people have are leading to new types of science. You know, this mm-hmm. concept that consciousness is not from the brain is being more right. and more widely accepted and batted around in academia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that alone is something that's going to push knowledge forward just hugely. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's then, massive. It's yeah. huge. <laughs> Yeah. When I was a and little kid and reading about this stuff. Words. Yes. Absolutely. And, all and of it is, is because of, of psi phenomena and mm-hmm. telepathy and right. <laughs> people being struck by lightning and have being able to have prophetic dreams afterwards and things like mm-hmm. that. And it's it's this you're right, it's like little doors into understanding and breadcrumbs mm-hmm. and clues. And right. you look at it as I do. I also, my bias is slightly towards a spiritual bias. And I, I do think sometimes it's 
the universe talks to you in so many different ways and right. there are different things in the universe that interact with you in so many different ways. Right. And that's sort of the breadcrumbs that are, are along the trail to, if not enlightenment, at least slightly more knowledge. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I think it's important. I'm not, you know, like I'm not a, evangelical anymore so i don't see demons around every corner but i uh i do want to be you know cautious like i don't want to poke the bear no uh, never do that that's that's definitely so I, bad <laughs> so i do think it's important like in your guys's show you you bring that up i think it's a good thing for people to know because there's a lot of this kind of stuff we don't understand so maybe have some caution with it because you don't know what you're playing with. But I also combine that with, like I said, I choose to believe that whatever those more negative things are, that ultimately in the end, they don't have as much power as the, the positive things, you know, and, and that's what I try to, to remember and, and, and have, have hope in, you know, that they're, and that we are moving towards something that is ultimately, I guess, beautiful or wonderful that's that's my hope anyway i i think you're right i think that's that's probably one of the best ways to look at these things yeah all right you you mentioned that you had a poem oh yeah yeah i'm all not right. gonna let you forget that, I was just okay. thinking that. <laughs> yeah this is my most this is my most recent poem you know and i think it kind of uh it's good because i was talking about dreams a lot and this kind of references that you know, I've written a lot of poems. But this is the most recent one. I think I wrote it uh, a few nights ago. Uh, so I actually wrote it while I was writing on the bus home on my phone. Uh, okay, so here it goes. It's called In a Dream. In a dream, images arise from the unseen. The dreamer must dive into the stream of symbols, of possibilities, of infinities. Where is my voice among the voices? Where is my choice among the choices? Where is my world among the worlds? Where I both furl and unfurl? In a tale, themes emerge from the unheard. The teller must disappear into the word of illusions, of hopes, of mysteries. Where is my vision among the visions? Where is my decision among the decisions? Where is my soul among the souls when I both fold and unfold? I like that. That's Very nice. Really good. I really, really like that. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> unless you have, unless one of us has a question or you have something mm -hmm. else to say, I think we should stop because that was beautiful. That was a oh, perfect yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad yeah. you got over being afraid you came to <laughs> yeah, talk with us. <laughs> and you came and talked with us. It was great. Oh, I hope you do it again sometime. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. I can come back sometime if you want. I, you know, yeah. like uh, have another holiday on a Monday or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th th those, those holidays do exist. We, right, you know, right. Keep that <laughs> well, in mind. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk with you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast.
If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.